The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. If you are taking notes, I want to give you a few things. Now, we encourage note-taking, writing things down, for a couple of reasons. One, it helps us to to learn, and we're here to receive and learn together. Uh, Another thing that it helps is it gives you an opportunity to revisit these things in your own time. We're here, you're going to hear me share for for a brief time here, uh, and then it can go away. And if we're not careful, we can miss things. So if you write it down, you have the opportunity, once you're away from here, to just review those notes in your own time. You don't have to set aside large chunks of time. You can review them briefly and have a certain passage stand out to you as something that you want to examine or look at closely uh, throughout the week. And I trust that as God speaks to us all together, he also is desiring to speak to us individually. He's ministering to us as a church And he is ministering to us as individual people. So that's one of the reasons why we encourage note-taking. And I want to encourage you to do so today. Now, there's a few things that we're going to find, and I'd like to share them with you. These are things, if you'd like to write them down, you're welcome to, to help encourage you as we move through the word, things that you can look forward to. One, we're going to find out what eternal life is. What eternal life is. I mean, oftentimes... We've seen eternal life as a valuable thing or an important thing. I mean, many of us have been enticed into Christianity even by being told that the reward is eternal life. We need to find out what eternal life is. What is this reward that is so enticing to us? What eternal life is? The second thing that we're going to find is what God calls us to. I used that word as we were blessing the children this morning, the call that God places upon our life. We substituted the word invitation. And it's a good substitution, what God has invited you to, what he has sent the invitation for you to join in or partake in, what God has called you to, we'll find that out. And then a third thing we're going to find is who God is. Who God is. We'll let the scripture reveal something very clearly to us, and I'm believing God that it'll have a great impact on us individually and therefore as a, as a group. Uh, I mentioned we're going to find what eternal life is. I want to start there. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. The Gospel of John, chapter 17. Now, John, chapter 17 is an amazing chapter of Scripture where Jesus Christ is in prayer, and he's in prayer for you, on your behalf. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. And the words that he prays are so incredible. The words that he's praying have been responded to and answered as you see the gospel fulfilled. He asks for things that are really incredible for you and for me. And it's important for us to know those things for a couple of reasons. One, to know the heart of our king toward us. That's very important. To know that we have a king who's righteous and who's just and whose desire is to see us successful. Another is to know that God has answered these prayers. To know that all of heaven and all of heaven's resources and all of the will of God has been manifest as he's answered these prayers. This prayer that Jesus has prayed is prayed for you and for me. And I think it's important for us to see it. Now we're going to look at one passage. We're going to look at John chapter 17, excuse me, verse 3. As we look at verse 3, we're going to see something. We're going to find out what exactly eternal life is. 
So you see Jesus as he's beginning to pray. He's praying to the Father and he says this in John 17, 3. Father, the hour has come. He's referring to the crucifixion and the resurrection. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him, he's referring to himself, authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Now Jesus says something that I want us to all pay very close attention to. He says, and this is eternal life. And this is eternal life. That they, that's me and you, that they may know you, the only true God, and the Christ whom you have sent. It's a really amazing passage of Scripture. It's an incredible prayer that's being lifted up. And the information that's revealed to us has some real serious ability to alter how we perceive and think as it concerns Christianity. I want you to consider this for a moment. That Jesus revealed to us what eternal life is. Eternal life is knowing God, the one and only God, and the Christ, the Redeemer, the Messiah that God sent. That is eternal life by Jesus' definition, by his words. It's not simply just living forever, but eternal life, the fullness of life. Life without any end, infinite life is us knowing God and knowing Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, whom he sent. I want to pause there for a second because I think this has become an issue with the church. For a lot of churches with good intention, and did you hear me? I said good intention. With really good intentions, trying to do things that are godly, to spread the gospel and and to expand and to reach people that need to be reached. We've become content with something that's not productive as it concerns eternal life. We've become content with teaching people about God and never introducing them to Him. When Jesus is praying and He's speaking of eternal life, He doesn't say this is eternal life, that you would know everything there is to know about God, A to Z. He said this is eternal life, that you would know Him. I love the the foundation for our children's ministry and our our student ministries here, uh, led by the Ashlands, Darlene Ashland, heading those things up. She's often stated that the priority is not to, to teach people about God or teach children about God, but rather to introduce them to Him. That if you only teach them about God, they'll they'll have some information, but they won't have any power. But if you can introduce them to God. The rest of their days will be forever transformed because of that relationship that carries all of the power and all of the authority of heaven into and through their lives. And as Jesus is speaking of eternal life, he's saying the exact same thing for us as believers. That this is eternal life. Not that we would know about him, but that we would actually know him. I want to give you a passage of scripture to read in your your own time. I'll read parts of it here. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, it's revealing something that's really terrible. It's absolutely terrifying and frightening. I've grown up in in church circles that 
loved to worship and, and do great ministry works. And if you had a need, you could get ministry for that need. And it looked so amazing and picture perfect from the outside. But yet, when you read this passage of Scripture, it should give us all cause to pause and think. Jesus is talking about being fruitful. He's talking about trees being fruitful, producing good fruit or producing bad fruit. He's talking about the end and judgment. And he says something. Something that I think everyone in the room should take note of. He says, hey, not everybody who calls me Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, for me, that causes me to stop. I mean, it's almost like an engine blowing or a tire giving out or you lock up the brakes. I mean, you just come to a screeching halt and you think, hang on a second. Not everyone who calls you Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is a problem for a lot of the things that I've been taught. I was taught that if I will make you my Lord, then I'm in. If I'll call you Lord, if I'll say, listen, I acknowledge that you are the King of kings. I acknowledge that you are the Lord of lords. I call you Lord. That that meant I was out of trouble and I was locked in. But Jesus is saying it really clearly. He, he's... I don't think that he's lecturing people. I don't think that it's spoken with anger or as a challenge. Like he's throwing down the gauntlet like some of you losers aren't going to make it. But that with compassion and, and affection, he's looking at the people around him and he's explaining something to them. He says, listen, I need to explain this to you because we need to get this right. It's not just about calling me Lord. It's not just about putting a brand on me or putting a brand on you. I'm a Christian. I go to this church. Jesus is King of Kings. It's so much more than that. And then he goes on to say something that causes me to have greater concern. He says, not only is it not those that just call me Lord, or, or they may make it, they may not. There's, there's more. There's others. There's people that are going to come and they're going to say, we did things for you. It's not just that we called you Lord. We ministered. We cast out devils. We prophesied. We did all of these things. These things are, are churchy things, right? I mean, that, it's what they are. They're things that you would expect in a, a, a vibrant and living church. To see ministry happen. To see people set free from affliction. To hear someone stand and deliver the word of God. These things are, are good things and they're righteous things and they're, they're churchy things. But Jesus is saying, listen. It's not just about calling me Lord. It's not about prophesying and, and casting out devils. There's going to be people that have called me Lord and there's going to be people that have ministered and done very churchy things. But this will be my response to them. Depart from me. I don't know you. I mean, that's kind of, of weighty, isn't it? I mean, it's a little sleepy in here this morning and people are a little quiet, but that doesn't help it, does it? Maybe we should tell some jokes for a minute. Anybody got a good joke? Yeah. yeah. It's heavy, isn't it? Because I grew up and I thought you call him Lord and then you do the churchy things and, and you're, that's it. You're doing it. That that's the evidence. Well, I know I'm a Christian because I call Jesus Lord and I, I do the churchy things. 
You know, I don't drink anymore. I don't spit. I don't cuss. You know, I don't kick the cat. I don't do these things anymore. No more of that. Jesus is Lord. And I do the churchy stuff. But if that is the extent of our fellowship, our relationship with Jesus, it's going to be problematic. I want to tell you what God has called us to. He hasn't called us to churchy stuff. He didn't say, hey, I'm calling you to go to church every Sunday. I'm calling you to volunteer on the greeter team. I'm calling you to be an usher. And by the way, I think God is calling some of you to be ushers and greeters. The point is, is that's not God's call on your life. I want us to find out what it is. He hasn't called us to churchy things. A lot of the things that we now celebrate as church are, are man-made things. They're, they're things that are meant to make for convenience so that when someone walks in, they know what classroom to take their children to or when someone comes in, they know where the coffee's at or something along those lines. That, that's really not the kingdom of God. It's just good manners, hospitality and kindness. And that's a good thing. But it's not churchy things that God's called us to. He's called us to something, and it's really specific. I want to share with you that I told you before we're going to find out what God calls us to. We'll find that right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. It opens up with these words. God is faithful. I mean, isn't that awesome? God is faithful. And he's called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's your calling. There's my calling. There's our calling. He hasn't called us into churchy things and therefore then we will have good results. He's called us to the very source and the fountain itself for the purpose of those things becoming a a byproduct of having fellowship with Jesus. I don't get closer to Jesus by going to church. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I want to be in church or be among his people or do the things that he's called me to do. And if we move from the wrong direction, we run the risk of being just like those who said, hey, 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 hang on a second. Now we called you Lord and we did all your churchy stuff. But to have Jesus look us right in the eye and say, but I I don't know you. We don't have any fellowship. The call that God has placed upon our lives is a call to fellowship with Jesus. Fellowship with Him. I mean, it's a word that I've grown up around. I mean, for years, the church that I went to had the word fellowship in its name. So I've always equated fellowship as a normal word, but I'm kind of concerned that we don't use it very much. It's become kind of a churchy word. You know, we hang out now, right? Hey, you want to hang out? You want to hang out? But really and truly, that's fellowship. It's spending time together. It's absolutely impossible to fellowship without giving time. You can't do it. There's no such thing as fellowship without time. And our lives have become so increasingly busy, I personally believe that it's a scheme of our enemy to get us so absolutely busy that we have no time for fellowship with Jesus. But we can pencil in Sunday morning, 10 o'clock champions, to do the churchy stuff. 
I'll call you Lord and I'll, I'll do the things that I need to do. And, and that's my calling. That's my, my, that's my identity as a Christian. When really and truly our calling and our identity as believers is to actually have fellowship with Jesus. And that takes time. I mean, think about the best relationship that you've ever had in your life. The strongest friendship or, or the relationship with your spouse. Think about that and think about what makes it great. What makes that relationship great? It involves communication. It involves uh, the giving of time. It involves uh, caring and putting others first or putting the other first, I should say. The relationship and the fellowship that we've been called to with Jesus is a perfect fellowship that God has designed for each one of us to enrich our lives, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to correct us. Even though no one enjoys being corrected, we need it to be directed in the right path. And when we have fellowship with Jesus, we have great benefits that result when we're willing to give him time, when we're willing to give him communication, when we're willing to acknowledge that he exists, when we stop simply doing churchy things and we begin responding to our call to have fellowship with Jesus, we have access to great things. I want to give you a few passages of scripture that I think are really awesome. Now, when you consider Jesus, I want you to consider Jesus Christ as King of kings, Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth, the almighty God. And then consider these passages to see them as benefits of having fellowship with Jesus. One benefit is going to be freedom. Freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Some of your translations don't use the word freedom. It uses the word liberty. I like the word liberty better. Liberty meaning that, that there's absolutely nothing that is steering your ship. You're not under uh, uh, any kind of bondage or in any kind of situation where you are not in using self-control. But there's no outside influences. There's absolute liberation from those things that would once control or bind. And so when you run that one way, it's an exciting thing to celebrate. If I have fellowship with God, I have liberty, I have freedom. The things of this world, the sin and the corruption aren't controlling or directing my thoughts or my actions. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate, to see as a benefit. It's also something for us to do as an examination. Is my life filled with liberty? Or is my life filled with bondage and captivity? Are there things that are directing my steps that are corrupt? Are there addictions and afflictions that affect how I feel or think? Is it hard for me to be uh, happy or to enjoy life because I'm so miserable at what that person did to me or what they've said about me or, or what was accused over here or over there? Am I led by disappointment? Am I led by hurt or frustration? If that's the case, we need to understand there's an absence of liberty. And if there's an absence of liberty, we need an increase of fellowship with Jesus. Now another benefit of fellowship with Jesus 
is vision. I like using the word vision, but if you want to use this word, it works just as well. I mean, purpose. I think purpose has become an important word. Years back, a man wrote a book about purpose, and it became a bestseller. That tells me a lot of people don't see any purpose for their lives. Purpose and vision are something that that come when we have fellowship with Jesus. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture here. One is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, God is light and in Him there's absolutely no darkness. And if you continue to read in 1 John, you'll come to 1 John chapter 2, verse 11, and it reads like this. The one that hates his brother walks in darkness. He's in the darkness. And he doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. When we come to a place where we're not having fellowship with Jesus, it opens up the door for us to walk in the dark. When we walk in the dark, there's an opportunity for there to be an absence of relationship. The word uses the word hate. It's a very strong word. You know, there's a real shortage of genuine, healthy friendships in our world. And there's an attempt to introduce a shallow substitute, whether it's through a social media or the internet. But you see people having more and more a a deficiency in healthy friendships. And my concern is that that is due to a walking in darkness rather than a walking in light. When we walk in light, our eyes are open and there's direction and purpose. That purpose is beyond ourselves, whether it's found in community and relationships. I want to give you another benefit of fellowship with Jesus. Direction. Direction. Not just a sense of purpose, but an awareness of where you're going, how to get there, what it's going to take to get where you're going, and and why God is leading you in that general vicinity. The direction that we need to feel stable and secure is a result of having fellowship with Jesus. Here's a passage of scripture that I'd like for you to take for your notes. It's John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus is speaking and he says this, and he's saying it to me and to you. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. To have fellowship with Jesus positions us to have fellowship with the shepherd that's leading and guiding us in the direction that we're called to go. The Bible is absolutely perfect in its description of a flock and a shepherd. Jesus is identified as the good shepherd, leading us to a place where there's provision and security, taking us to a place where there's protection. And as Jesus is doing these things, the direction that we receive in our lives produces in us such a sense of stability that there's no room for anxiety, 
And all of the call for us to be anxious for nothing is not something that seems impossible and maybe wished for. But it becomes a real possibility, a probability, and a reality in our lives. If you run that backwards and you begin to think that, wow, I really don't have a sense of direction as it concerns this part of my life. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about that. It's not the end of the world, rather it's an indication. Any lack of direction is revealing of a lack of fellowship with Jesus. If we've been called to fellowship with Him, and fellowship with Him means being close to Him, and He is the good shepherd who leads and we follow, then direction is the result. And if we find ourselves in a place where we're lacking in direction, we don't need to be turning to the world to tell us what to do. Rather, we need to be engaging with Jesus. I want to give you my time. I want to give you my fellowship because I know that you'll lead me. I know that you'll guide me in the way that I'm supposed to go. I know that you'll provide direction. Another benefit of fellowship with Jesus is courage. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Again, from 1 John, chapter 4. I want to read verses 7 through 8 together. 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. The passage opens up with the word everyone. Can you say everyone for me? everyone. I mean, I love when you see words like that. They're absolute. Is anybody left out of everyone? No, it's all inclusive. You see an absolute word there and that just triggers something in me and I hope in you to pay close attention to what this absolute word is connected to. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, when you heard those words, those last two words, knows God, did any alarms go off in your head? Any bells or any whistles? Any sirens? Any lights? That Jesus would pray and that He would reveal to us that this is eternal life, that they would know you. And we see in 1 John that everyone who does something specific knows God. I think we ought to pay very close attention to that verse. We ought to set it side by side with what Jesus spoke in John 17 when He revealed to us what eternal life is. This is eternal life that they would know you. The same man that recorded that, the words of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, reveals to us in 1 John chapter 4, what it's going to take for us to know God, what it's going to require for us to come to that place of celebrating that fullness of life. Everyone who knows God will be someone who loves. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It goes on to say the opposite. The one that does not love does not know God because God is love. I'm mentioning the benefit of courage. 
to find that, you have to turn just a little further into 1 John. It's only about 10 passages further down. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It reads like this. There's absolutely no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. A benefit of being in fellowship with God, a benefit with fellowship with Jesus, a benefit with fellowship with the one who is love, is to be exposed to the very thing that drives out fear and anxiety. To spend time with Jesus is to spend time with love. To speak to Jesus is to speak to love. To hear from Jesus is to hear from love. To have fellowship with Jesus is to have fellowship with love. And to have fellowship with love is to purge out fear and anxiety from our lives. Courage is the benefit. So as I examine my life, as I deal with things, situations or circumstances, when I find that there's fear present, I come into an understanding that the presence of fear means the absence of fellowship with Jesus. And if we don't come to that conclusion, we could easily be trying to seek after the result of fellowship with Jesus rather than the opportunity for that result. Where I try to find courage, well, I'm afraid, so I need courage. So I'm looking everywhere for courage. The reality is the courage is the result of fellowship with Jesus. When we find our place in, when we find ourselves, excuse me, in a place of bondage or in a place that has no direction or purpose, when we find our place, ourselves in a place of, of fear or anxiety, the thing that we need is not necessarily freedom or purpose or direction or courage. Rather, we need the one who provides all of those things. And it's fellowship with him that opens up the door for us to have lives filled with freedom, vision and direction and courage. So I hear that personally and I think that's awesome. I want to have fellowship with Jesus. But now I'm left with, so how do I do that? I mean, I can get on board with it. It makes sense to me. You can put this verse here and that verse there and connect this dot to that dot. And yeah, that sounds about right. But how do we put this to practice? How do we come to the place where we have fellowship with Jesus? I've got news for you, and it's good news. Right here, right now, we're real close. Look around the room. You're real close. I mentioned to you we're going to find out who God is, and I want to do that as we begin to close. I'd like for you to take a passage of Scripture down for your notes, and I want us to look at it together. If there was a moment where it was important to focus and to, to dial in, this is the moment. 1 John chapter 1. I want to begin in verse 5. You find out who God is immediately. I mean, the first three words reveal. God is light. 
And in him there's no darkness at all. And now there's a shift in the passage. It's no longer talking about God, but it starts to talk about us, me and you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, remember, that's our calling, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie, and we don't practice the truth. But, can you say but? Yeah, see, that's an important word. It's, it's all turning around here. That that's being revealed is serious. And we ought to pay close attention to it. But there's cause for celebration and excitement when we see the but. It's turning around. There's something changing here at that word, that transition. But, but if we, it's conditional. If we walk in the light, just like he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It's a really incredible passage of Scripture. It's a couple of verses. But within these couple of verses, there's such an incredibly powerful truth that I know if we catch it this morning, it could change every single one of us forever. God is light and in Him there's no darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. But if we walk in the light, just like He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's a couple of fellowships going on there. One is with God and one is with one another. But yet they're not differentiated at all. They're not separated. They're not identified as two separate things. For you and I to have fellowship with Jesus is going to require you and I to have fellowship with each other. Because Jesus is in you and Jesus is in me. For us to grow as a body, for us to, to come to truly know Him and not just know about Him, it's not going to be us sitting in this room becoming academically sound as we scroll through the Scripture together. Even though that would be a good thing, it's not the thing. The thing is us spending time ministering and loving on one another. Taking the time to show interest in the Jesus in you and in me. Surrendering our lives to Him. Not being so busy that we forsake one another. And as we take that on as a model, we take on the model of Jesus Christ who didn't see himself as so busy enthroned in heaven that he would refuse to come to our aid. But rather he would clear his schedule, empty himself, and come to our assistance. For us to function and operate as the believers that we're called to be, is going to require us to see that that calling involves fellowship with Jesus. It's going to take our time. It's going to take our resources. It's going to take our commitment. But the result is life. Everlasting life. Life in abundance. Eternal life. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. As we commit to respond to the call to fellowship with Jesus, that's the call that God's put on our lives. The call isn't to go to church, but rather when we fellowship with Jesus, we're led to church. The call isn't to do churchy things, but rather when we fellowship with Jesus, that's the result. As we respond to the call of God to have fellowship with Jesus, it's going to mean two things. 
It's going to mean your personal relationship with Jesus, giving it time and effort, not letting it coast on autopilot. You know, I raised my hand when the pastor was praying that prayer, and so Jesus and I are good. It's going to require more than just knowledge about him, but it's going to require fellowship with him, intimate connection with him. I mean, if if all that my wife ever had was a, a biography of Preston Humphreys, she wouldn't know me. But the more that we had time together, she got to know me for better and for worse. But time, fellowship, connection, effort, that's what it takes. And then here's what Jesus will do. This is an absolute. He'll lead us to one another. He'll never lead away from the body. This is his body. We're the body of Christ. The word makes no apologies that it is you, it is me, that God has assembled together to do the work of the will of God on the earth, to accomplish all that he would call, all that he would speak into existence, all that he would require. He would call us to come together, that he would empower us, that he would make all the resources of heaven available to us to do it. And so all of a sudden then church is no longer an obligation. It's no longer a religious duty. Because when things become religious duties or obligations, we will automatically default to give it the minimum. What's the least I can do and still be qualified? And God has put so much incredible, uh, wonderful attributes in each one of you that he hasn't called us to give minimally. But he's even set Jesus as an example to give all. And that's fellowship. So I want to ask God to do something in our lives together this morning. I want to ask for there to be a a devotion, a commitment, a stirring in each one of us to say, hey, I'm not content to just know about God. I want to begin to know him. If that's what eternal life is, then I want that. And I know it's going to mean time, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take some of my, my TV time or my this time over here or whatever, and I'm going, to, I'm going to cancel what I'm doing there, and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pray, or I'm going to read in the Word. I don't have to be a, you know, a page turner. I'm going to read a few passages and just ask God to tell me what those mean. I want to start doing something that increases my knowledge of Him, not about Him. I want to sit down with Him. And I want to talk to him and I want to trust and believe that he's going to talk back. And as we begin to see those things in our lives individually, you'll see such a release of life and genuine, powerful ministry within the body. Because our call isn't just to know about him, it's to know him. And the reason why he wants us to know him is so that we can behave like him. Do the things that he loves Avoid the things that he despises so that we can see each other the way he sees us, so that we can operate and function just like Jesus. So as you stand there, I want to pray. I want to ask God for that. For each one of us individually and and as a church. Father, we bless your name and we give you thanks. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you would call us to fellowship with Jesus. 
Today, let that ring out in our hearts. Let it have such a profound effect on our minds that it would create a desire that we just could not shake or abandon. That our call is to have fellowship with Jesus. Let it be more than words read off a page. But let it ring out in our hearts as a priority that there would be an urgency that the life you've called us to Not one day to experience, but the life you've called us to right here and right now would begin to be a reality as we would respond to that call and begin to fellowship with our King. And let us follow His direction. Follow His counsel to love one another, to fellowship with each other, to connect, to serve. To follow his example, let the results be revival right here and right now in this place. That this house would not be a place of separation and division, but that it would be a place of the coming together of the body of Jesus Christ for the purpose of tearing down the works of the devil and expanding your kingdom, your kingdom that exists in righteousness, peace, and joy. Let our schedules be yielded to you our hearts and our minds. And let there be a willingness in us to expand past where we've become comfortable, to connect with one another, to serve and to give. We give you thanks for that call to fellowship. And we ask, Father, that the results of fellowship with Jesus would be rich in this place. That we would be a people that would know freedom and liberty. That we would be a people of vision and purpose that we would be a people with direction and counsel, that we would be a people of courage and strength, and that all of those things would result as you promised. As we have fellowship with Jesus, let those things prevail in our lives. We bless your name and we give you thanks and we rejoice in your faithfulness in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.